Oh boy. All right. <laughs> I'm nervous to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> but hello, everybody. Hope everyone is doing well today. Um, it's another gloomy, rainy day here in Seattle. I've been tucked away all day in my apartment just doing work. So that's beside the point. Um, I'd like to welcome y'all to the first episode of Critical Voices. Critical Voices is a podcast centered around cyclists of color and their experiences navigating the whiteness of cycling. For today's guest, I have Jamal Marshalls. He was born and raised on the Big Island, aka the island of Hawaii. He grew up competing in sports, mainly soccer, but left Hawaii and came to Seattle where he attended Seattle University and pursued a degree in mechanical engineering. He did the prescribed path of going to college, interning, and graduating. Shortly after, he got a job in the industry, but then things changed for him. Come 2020, Jamal started doing grassroots organizing, was turned on to North Star Cycling Club, and quit his engineering job. He is now working at a bike shop and is working towards becoming a bike mechanic. Yeah, welcome, Jamal. Um, thanks for coming on, honestly. You're my first guest. Thank you, Miguel. So it's exciting, but also a little, you know, I'm definitely a little nervous. I'm new to podcasting, so <laughs> this would be a learning experience for um, for me. But uh Jamal, would you let us know who you are? Give a quick intro, um, you know, add in anything that I might have missed, and then. For sure, yeah. Um, thanks for having me, Miguel. This is really cool. Being the pilot episode of a podcast, you know, I don't have my pilot license, but it feels like I might. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you pretty much captured it. That's, I like came from a place that's pretty isolated. Uh, the Big Island or just the state of Hawaii. Um, things happen a lot slower there and there's a lot less happening. So coming uh, to Seattle for school and such really opened my worldview. And I've seen a lot more than I would have if I stayed on the island. Um, but since coming here, my sort of like goals have changed, I guess, because I was working in the industry of mechanical engineering. Uh, didn't enjoy just like the structure of it, I suppose. I enjoy engineering and like science and app applying yourself and doing things, uh, but the industry just doesn't seem like it's for me. So now I've switched into uh, cycling, like sort of like the world of bicycles and that industry, uh, thanks to my exposure to the North Star. Um, it was a much more welcoming environment, at least my first interactions. So um, basically I've switched where I spend my time. I'm now more into bikes, uh, but I still do engineering in the background with like 3D printing at home and stuff like that. Um, small side hustles and side things, you know, but yeah, um, bikes, that's why we're here. Um. <laughs> yeah, bikes. And, you know, you and I actually met through um, North Star. Mm -hmm. So that was really nice. And for those of you who are listening and don't know, um, North Star is a cycling club here in Seattle, Washington, and its purpose is to get 
melanated folks out on bicycles and you know it's just a really inclusive uh environment definitely it's something that is unique and it helps people who are interested in cycling get out um you know cycling is a very white sport slash hobby so it can be challenging to um try to fit in when you don't fit you know the the majority um so Jamal, what got you yeah how'd you learn about Northstar actually because I feel I'm always interested in, in listening to people's stories about that um <laughs> when I when I first meet them because they're yeah really just they're all over the place so um yeah I learned about Northstar through actually grassroots organizing um I was in one of the first like meeting planning meetings for a winter clothing drive that was going to happen in Kent. Um, and in that meeting, I had my camera on and someone, Chloe actually saw a bicycle in the background of my video. And she was like, Oh, Hey, do you ride bikes? And I was like, yeah, like I, I used to commute to work, but like during the pandemic, I don't have to. So it's just right there. And she was like, Oh, have you heard of North star? And I was like, no, like, what's what's north star so i got the whole rundown in the off time during that meeting and then i showed up to the next sunday ride and i was like oh this is pretty cool um and since then i've just been sort of in love with what north star is and this whole purpose and what it actually achieves so yeah grassroots organizing that's how i found out about north star and it's been a blast yeah north star is pretty sweet I actually hope to interview one of the co-founders in both, you know, either Aaron or Edwin. It'd be, it'd be sweet to see, have them both, but mm-hmm. I know they have busy lives and schedules, so it may be a little difficult. But yeah, what got you into cycling in the first place? Well, that is a good question, but it's also very layered, like my answer. Um, so in terms of like what first got me on a bike is my childhood experience. Um, I have two siblings and the earliest memories of a bicycle I can remember, we had like one shared bike between us all. Um, And like, it was sort of like a really small, maybe like a 16 inch kid's bike and you could just do stunts on it and just ride up hills and try and hop it and get air. So we would sort of play around with that one bike in our like yard area. So I've always had a bike available to me. Um, After that, we got a couple more bikes that I can remember. And then I got a red mongoose BMX bike for one of my birthdays. Um, And then eventually, once I got to ninth grade, I got another bicycle as a birthday present from my grandparents. So in terms of what first got me onto bikes um, is just having a bike available to me. But in terms of what got me into cycling, it's a little more layered um basically because i always had a bike like the option of being like super into cycling or not was always there um but i wasn't really super into cycling until i had to be (laughs) um so once i graduated college i not everything was in walking distance so i had to choose like am i gonna take the bus every day am i gonna ride a car or like buy a car and then use a car or am I just going to use the vehicle I have available to me? So it was like 
it's pretty a simple choice because funding and like available money it's like the cheapest option to just use a bike uh, you save on gas you don't have to do the initial investment so it was just once i graduated the cheapest simplest like readily available option was to just start riding my bike regularly as my commuter vehicle um so it was sort of like just a pretty simple choice once i graduated and had my first job um but behind that motivation was <laughs> also like i grew up with the like in hawaii there's a lot of hawaiian culture that's still currently practiced like um, caring for the land that cares for you. That's Malama Ika Aina. So that's like something very fundamental to me. And that's like a sustainability and like climate conscious approach like to cultural like stances. Um, so basically having that ingrained in like who I am, it was an even easier choice. And it wasn't just purely like, oh, cheaper money wise. It was also like, a, I actually fully agree with what cycling does for yourself and the planet versus like wasting money and like resources uh, with a car. So um, basically where I grew up um, and where I ended up is what got me into cycling. How was your that commute look like, I guess, if you didn't have a bike? Oh, if I didn't have a bike, I would have had to look into the bus schedule um, because I was working in Kent so it's not like Seattle centric. Um, the options of public transit are much slimmer. So it's it's like either bus or walk pretty much. Um, and I think- Wait, and were you uh, in Seattle or, uh, cause you're currently in West Seattle, right? If I... Yeah, I'm in West Seattle. Okay. Um, so when I was doing that initial commute, I was working and living in Kent. So- Okay. Um, I think it was like a three mile distance I had to cover. Oh no, six miles, the first location I was at. Um, so it wasn't terrible. Like I could have walked it every day, but in terms of you, good use of time, like that wouldn't have been a good use of time. Yeah, how is like the, the bicycle infrastructure over in Kent? I've never really been there. So I'm, you know, the only cycling infrastructure that I've kind of been exposed to is here in, in Seattle and then um, partly in Chicago and both of them are you know pretty densely populated areas so uh, the cycling infrastructure is is there you know there's protected bike lanes and everything but um, you know an area like Kent that isn't necessarily close to a city um, yeah how did that look like um it's definitely a more rural vibe to it um meaning like it's an afterthought in terms of the street infrastructures or the pathways that you can you can like choose for your daily commutes or your like your fun rides um i think there's only a few marked bike lanes there's one in like the downtown area near kent station um and like transitioning into the industrial area, there's like slight demarcations for a bike path or like a shoulder. And then there's another in the uptown area, um, like Kent Meridian, like towards the Target shopping like space. Uh, so that's like the area generally that I was in when I was in Kent. Um, I think there's some more towards Kent or Kent is larger than that. 
it's just I'm not familiar with like all of the spots, but basically there's very few bike paths and shoulders marked for bikers. Um, so kind of scary, but if you're confident and comfortable on the road, then it's not bad. Yeah. But there's also like very large hills that you have to go up and down. So yeah, the hills. It's not as great as Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> the hills in Seattle. Yeah, it's definitely something that. <laughs> um i don't know, i feel like very unique to seattle and um you know cyclists here you can build you build some strong some strong caps <laughs> going up and down <laughs> these hills commuting in kent um and just commuting in, in, in general when you moved back to seattle um do you think the lack of cycling infrastructure um ever stopped you or hindered you from wanting to go out and bike just i guess just uh that's a good question um but i'm pretty pretty determined person so if i set my mind to like oh i'm gonna just ride to work on my bike then i'll do that um i'm actually like for example i don't look at the weather app ever (laughs) Because it's like, if it's going to rain, like I still have to get there. So um, that's sort of like where my mind goes. Um, Yes, it's a little worrisome, but I don't really mind worrying about things. Like I'll stress over it. But um, yeah, the stress, I'll I'll use it to prepare like, okay, because it's not safe, I should get like a safety jacket that makes me super visible. Mm -hmm. So if, if everyone can see me, like if I get hit ever... I know for sure I'm getting paid like as long as I'm alive. Right. So. <laughs> Jamon, actually you're, you're like one of the few writers that I know that like, I feel like comes prepared for like any situation, like worst case scenario. Like I, I remember um, when you came to the bike project a handful of times you were always wearing your uh, <laughs> your like highly visible like vest, mm-hmm. and then you always carried a backpack that just had I feel like everything you could ever need <laughs> if you if you had like a flat tire, <laughs> or, like if it rained or whatever it was. So and yeah. you know that might be because like the infrastructure isn't there. Like because I know I won't be supported when I'm like on a solo ride, like. I'd rather be comfortable with the peace of mind, like knowing I have the things that can like help me get out of something. Or if I run past someone, like I can help them get out of something. So yeah, sort of like the lack of infrastructure motivates me to be more prepared for things like that. Could you talk more about what you're doing currently at uh, Bike Shot? What, what's the story behind that? How you got into that? Ooh, how did I get into it? Um, so basically right now, I'm working at a bike shop, JRA Bike Shop in Ballard. Um, And why did I choose to work at a bike shop? Um, It's kind of a lot to that. Basically, summer 2020 happened. Um, A lot of people woke up, myself included, um, started paying more attention to the things we dedicated our like presence to. Um, So while reconsidering where I'm spending like my effort, uh, my time and like my conscience, you know, um, 
I, I started to question a lot of things and really test people. Uh, so while I was working at OMAX, which is the company I was working at in Kent, um, that was like my engineering position right after school. Um, so I realized I had uh, some issues with stuff like how the organization, organization operated. Um, so I started questioning those things um, and really pressing people about it. And seeing if we could change the outcome, like not just as me alone, but can other people, are other people interested in changing these things that seem wrong to me? Um, and basically there weren't enough people who cared about people uh, at that workplace. So uh, I sort of reassessed and was like, well, I'd rather be in a place where people care about people. Um, and that was North Star for me at the time. Um, and it still is. So I transitioned from spending my time and like setting my career towards mechanical engineering and going down that route. Uh, and I switched to like bikes because Northstar was a very welcoming and inclusive space for me. Uh, so I figured if I can get more immersed in this area of life um, and helping other people with like my ability to either just ride bikes or help people ride bikes, uh, then maybe I have something more interesting here. Um, and it's kind of hard because I'm still figuring out exactly what it is that I'm doing. But right now I'm pretty set on learning how to become a bike mechanic because the space here just feels healthier. Uh, it's just less toxic by, by nature. Um, but it's pretty tough because I'm working at this bike shop and I'm pretty sure my employers know that I'm interested in becoming a bike mechanic. Um, and I've asked several times, like, okay, is there another like bike mechanic thing I can learn or try and do like while I'm on shift, like clocked in on the job? Um, so far, I've learned how to fix flats. Um, so they're comfortable with me doing flat fixes for the shop. Um, but because I wasn't hired as a mechanic, they're not expecting me to do mechanic things while clocked in. So whenever I'm asking if I could learn or like practice some mechanic skill, they're like, oh yeah, sure, uh, just clock out and then like you can do it on your own bike or something. And it's like, uh, that's that's not exactly how that works in my head. Like that doesn't make sense. Like if I'm here working for you, I should be able to get paid to learn how to help fix bikes for you and for me. So I'm currently in a weird struggle of trying to learn bike mechanic things while getting paid for it. Um, but not being expected to do those things. Uh, so I'm doing other things on the side. Like I've signed up for this bike repair 201 class with BikeWorks. Um, you're in it too, Miguel. Yeah, yeah. Jim. I'll be seeing yeah. you later today in person. Yep. So yeah, Jim, Jim from BikeWorks, who's also part of Northstar, like he's the homie. Like he's really helped me do that transition from mechanical engineering industry uh, jumping into the bike industry. Uh, he's actually the person who told me about all these other like bike shop jobs and he helped me get into this JRA position and he's helped me get into this actual like course that'll help me learn and practice skills that I'm interested in acquiring. So shout out Northstar, shout out Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bike works too. That's that's another bike works too. Yeah. Shout out bike works. Do you currently commute still to your work and then what yeah what's what's that like now 
I do. Yeah. It's a one hour commute either by bike or by bus. So it's kind of nice that I have the option and it's like the same time frame, regardless which one I choose. Um, Cause then if I'm really busy with um, meetings and organizing outside of work, I could just bus to work and prepare for those meetings or like take notes or whatever mm-hmm. while I'm on the bus and my laptop. Or if I'm not busy and I'm just really feeling like I want to ride to and from work today, I can just bike. So it's, it's nice having that option, but usually biking is way faster for me. Uh, but because of my positioning of where I live and where I work, uh, they're actually equal, which is kind of new, but very nice. What barriers um, or challenges did you experience when you started out um, cycling? And, you know, that could either be um, some experiences with you um, in Hawaii or also like here. And I guess, do they still exist? Um, Barriers that I have faced. I suppose I'll start by saying like, I'm aware of barriers that I didn't have to face, but there are also barriers that I have faced. Um, So some barriers that like, uh, let's say a person interested in biking, but who doesn't have a bike or like the practice of riding a bike, some barriers that they might face are first of all, like getting a bike. I was fortunate enough to never have to overcome that barrier. I mean, there's the barrier of knowing how to ride a bike. Um, and then also the barrier of feeling comfortable riding a bike on the road. Um, because if you have bike lanes, like, yeah, that's a barrier you have to get over, um, but it's definitely easier. But if you don't have bike lanes, like where I'm from, there's just some streets with shoulders, like not even every street has a shoulder. So learning how to bike on those streets is definitely a barrier. Um, but I was fortunate to have a friend who rode bikes back in high school and he took me on a couple of rides and he's like, Oh, this is how you ride on the street. Like with a shoulder, like you take up more room than you think you'll need just in case, you know, like you actually need that room. So I got like these small lessons when I was starting to ride on the streets. Uh, so that was a barrier that was easy for me to overcome. But currently I think the barriers that I face are, related to those first barriers uh and it's basically financial financials like do you have the money to even fund yourself like to getting that bike uh can you even like okay now you know there's a better bike for you um can you buy it uh usually the answer is no or like it would be a very stressful journey to like actually maneuver and like save money to get that new bike Um, So basically, as I learn more and more about how a bicycle can be improved from like its base model or like other bicycles that are better than the model that you might have, um, the barrier now is like, can you even buy those things? Like, because individually, every component on the bicycle is relatively cheap, especially when compared to like other vehicles that get people here and there, motorized vehicles, especially. Uh, But however, when you add up all those small parts, it becomes like a pretty big amount of money. So like, yes, uh, getting a new cassette, it's like, oh, maybe just 30 or $40, but then you, you have to make sure it works with your whole drivetrain. So from like a 30 or $40 assumption, it could triple that easily. So it's like the, the increment and steps of like 
pricing of things is the current barrier I face. Um, and learning how to fix bikes is also a barrier. So I guess I want to touch more on the challenge you're facing now um, with becoming a, a bike mechanic. Um, have you felt that certain information, I guess, is this restricted from you due to maybe people wanting to like gatekeep certain information or that's yeah i love that you say the word gatekeeping um because that is actually something i've experienced at all of my previous jobs and my current job um so it's actually a thing that happens between industries or regardless what industry you're in um because a way to guarantee your job security is actually to just keep all of the knowledge to yourself so that you become irreplaceable. Um, so yeah, I, I experienced gatekeeping a lot actually in the bike mechanic realm because it's obvious to me that all the bike mechanics I know have great knowledge, great experience, and they've practiced what they do but when it comes to extracting that knowledge from them for yourself and possibly others' betterment, uh, it's just extremely difficult um, because like while I'm working, it would be nice to get paid to learn those things, um, but I, I don't have that opportunity right now. However, I do know that the knowledge is there for me. Um, it's not like, the mechanics I, I work with and know of, uh, it's not like they have the only source of knowledge um, because Park Tools actually has a really great online learning platform. They've got videos, they've got blogs and articles, um, and they also have a textbook that you can get or find online free for like through a PDF or something. Um, so in terms of knowing where the knowledge is, that's not a problem. But in terms of having time to absorb and like actively read and, you know, like get that information into your head, that's where I have a difficulty because most of the things you do don't pay you. Um, and actually the only thing that does pay you is a job. Um, so the longer you're at a job, the less personal time you have to actually do things like learning off the job. So when you're working at a bike shop and you're trying to become a bike mechanic, but you're not expected to learn bike mechanic things on the job, it makes it pretty difficult because it's also not a high paying job working in a bike shop. So it's a really weird, weird thing happening there. Um, but I'd also like to say that there's the, because I've had to think through this a bit by myself of like, why does it feel like there's gatekeeping? Um, and it, it's, interesting because uh, as much as I want to blame mechanics for it, it's also like a, this is the culture we're immersed in. So it's not actually their fault. And also there's so much information to convey that it's like, where do you start? Um, and we're very unpracticed in knowing where to start communications and what communications are important. Uh, like which ones should start and like what would be like what would make sense to follow. So like, I could be salty about this, but I've also come to terms with realizing like, it's just a really difficult thing to communicate. 
Um, and because our culture and like capitalism and all of this toxic stuff, I, I love the word toxic, you know, everything's toxic. You gotta just laugh about it sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah, so it's not really anyone's fault, but gatekeeping definitely happens. Um, yeah, extracting knowledge is pretty difficult. What are some ways, you know, if, if at all, that you've um, experienced racism within the community, um, you know, cycling that people, I guess, wouldn't normally think about? Um, in terms of interactions with people and other cyclists, or specifically other cyclists, um, I haven't experienced as much racism as I think is actually out there. Um, I haven't gone to places where I would experience such things. Um, and I think that's a lot of because groups like North Star um, help break apart those, uh, those interactions and they minimize the exposures of those things because like traveling in crowds is safer. Um, so the, the only racism I think I may have experienced from other cyclists is sort of um, ignorance, um, like not knowing why things are the way they are, um, and then them being uninterested in learning about like why, why I am where I am, like with my bike or whatever it might be, uh, because I've gotten like, I've been in stories and just talking to people and it's like, oh, like they'll say, oh, I'll just like, bike there or I'll ride there and then I'll like bike on like whatever their expensive bike is uh, but then in terms of like oh have you ever done that if they're trying to continue a conversation about like going racing or like going on some long bike trip it's like uh no I haven't like I don't have an extra bike like I just have my bike like it's a commuter bike um, and it's like oh no I don't like travel out to the trails to like go mountain biking or gravel racing because I have a bike, like, you know, so when, when I'm in conversations with other cyclists and they're talking about, oh, I'll just go on this bike, or like, I did this trip on this bike. It's like that unknowingness of like, bikes are expensive and like parts are hard to get if you don't have money. That's sort of the unknowing, like the oblivious, like passive racism, I suppose that I've experienced. Um, so I, I've been somewhat fortunate in that at least. Um, but there is an interaction that stands out in my head because it's just like a very annoying thing that happened. I was on a bike ride once with Maya, who is also like part of North Star. Um, and this is before either of us knew about North Star or like did large group rides. So we were just riding on the Burke Gilman sort of near the UW area. Um, and we were just casually talking, like catching up, having a fun time, you know, out and about. And then we're on the trail and a cyclist was coming at us. Like he turned a corner and was going much over the 15 mile per hour speed limit. Um, and I was a little on the left side of the trail, which is his side. Uh, so I was trying to get out of the way, but he's coming so fast that he had to slow down significantly. And he just like yelled at us like, hey, like get on your side of the road or whatever. And it's like, dude, like this is a pedestrian area and it's midday, like you have no right to yell or even 
bike this fast. So, I mean, I don't think that was specifically racist, but it felt a little racist. And actually, like, it probably was because he was doing this in an open environment with, like, defined rules. Uh, he was breaking those rules and still thought he was in the right for yelling at us uh, when it's like, no, like, you're out of line here. Uh, you should be yelling at yourself, not us. So I think that might have been a little racist. Uh, but yeah. Um, and then I guess I have a sort of an observation as a cyclist, like in terms of being a minority or someone who's who like society doesn't necessarily design things with in mind. Um, like for example, handicapped people or people in wheelchairs, like a lot of times there will be stairs going to places, but no ramp. Uh, so then the ramp will be added in as an afterthought. Um, and I think the same thing happens in the cyclist world because a lot of cities or towns are built up and roads uh, where there will be like, maybe there's a shoulder, um, but then in terms of adding a, a lane for bicyclists to be in, it's, it's usually an afterthought. Um, and it's actually extremely rare for a road to be built with cyclists in mind, like from the start, like the beginning of a plan, like that almost never happens. So in terms of experiencing racism, I'd say that's like a daily experience for anyone on a bike. Like even if you're white or like, you know, like they're experiencing that same symptom of being an afterthought to some infrastructure that should be beneficial to everyone riding it so it's sort of interesting because it's like these things are designed for like cars and motorized vehicles um, and then the thought comes later like oh and bicyclists but then when you're riding as a bicyclist people expect you to be a pedestrian but then other people expect you to be a vehicle and it's like you're sort of this in-between thing that people don't know how to deal with. Uh, therefore, they don't deal with you very kindly. So there's a lot of weird microaggressions and like uh, putting you on the side, like marginalizing. I guess we're kind of getting close to wrapping up. Um, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to add um, or touch on more about you know, your experiences you know, cycling? I think it's the most interesting thing to me in terms of cycling is talking to your friends about it who don't actually cycle um, because there's this um, there's a lot of things people don't know like people don't know how easy riding a bicycle is if you're able-bodied um, to ride a bicycle from the first place like riding a bike is so easy unless there's like very big hills and if there are then you can get an electric bike um, but then in terms of like dealing with cyclists who like like a lot of my friends they have funny comments about like oh there's this biker or whatever and it's like oh well yeah that sucks but like you have to realize the biker is expected to be a pedestrian and a vehicle. So it's like, what are they supposed to do in so many situations? Like, I don't know how you've experienced that, but it's just so weird being treated like as an unknown. 
like when you're just trying to ride from point A to point B and then you have to be so aware to like keep yourself healthy and well I don't know it just seems like there's not enough dialogue around like what are you supposed to do as a cyclist and like what is a motorized vehicle supposed to do like when they're interacting with cyclists you bring up some good points Jamal and thanks for coming on to the show we're running low on time so I'm gonna let you go but I just want to thank you for coming on to the show and being my first guest I'm stoked to see where this podcast goes because I mean there's a lot to talk about um thanks again for uh, coming on um yeah hold on. i'm gonna i'm gonna stop recording sweet thanks for having me <laughs>